You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Good morning, everybody. It's nice to see you here. I'm sure everybody's just doing excellently. <laughs> oh, wonderful, wonderful. So good to be here. July the 4th is coming up, big holiday weekend next weekend. So anyway, we're thinking we may just go to one service. But um, anyway, it'll all be good. We're going to receive this morning's offering. And um, if you'd like to give this morning, you can do so from your, your phone. Text QCC Giving to 77977. Follow the prompts. Or you can give uh, from our website at queencity.church. Select Giving and follow the prompts. And um, we won't pass buckets today, but we have them up front. If you want to give by check or cash, there are envelopes here. And um, you can put your offering in as you leave the service. So... Also, at the end of the service, we're trying to be, what's that word, socially, what is it? Is it social distancing? I've I've never heard that word, so how many of you are tired of hearing words like that? (laughs) They ought to just say, stay away from everybody and don't spit on them. That would work, wouldn't it? Terrible. Okay, okay, everything's all right. How many of you heard James Scott last week? Yeah, wasn't that great? That was a tremendous time. He's uh, He and his whole family are really, really something special. So I enjoyed that. We'll have to have him back. Okay, here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to tell a couple of Bible stories and talk about them. I thought with the kids in here, they might be a little bit more interested in this kind of message, maybe than than some other kind. But um, let's go ahead and put up that first overhead. When you look at the book, uh, uh, when you look at uh, Luke chapter 15, um, Luke chapter 15 is Jesus' response to scribes and Pharisees who are not happy with the kind of people that uh, are comfortable around Jesus, who come to Jesus. And so he tells three stories, one after another. The first one is about a lost lamb. The second one is about a lost coin. And the third one is the story of the prodigal son. And um, I just lost my lost coins. Oh, here they are. Wow, that worked. So we're going to talk about the lost lamb, the lost coin, and we won't get to the story of the prodigal son. It's a, it's a whole message all of its own. But so that we can get the background, I'll read to you, and you can, you can follow overhead. Um, so here's Luke chapter 15. Many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered around to listen as Jesus taught the people. 
This raised concerns with the Jewish religious leaders and experts on the law. Indignant, they grumbled and complained, saying, Look at how this man associates with all these notorious sinners and welcomes them all to come to him. Now, recently I met a man from South Africa, and he told me about um, a Bible from, I believe it's from, from overseas, called the Mirror Translation. And um, I want to read these first two verses from there because it's so, it's so interesting to me. Now, all of the people of reputation, the infamous tax collectors, as well as your regular sinners, were in the habit of crowding Jesus. They were magnetically drawn to him, addicted to his conversation. But the Pharisees and law professors were furiously complaining about the warm hospitality with which Jesus embraced these people in their frequent banquets. So that is very interesting. So Jesus was taking flack from the scribes and the Pharisees because of how attracted to him were infamous tax collectors. It says, as well as your regular sinner. How many of you are infamous or how many of you considered maybe just a regular sinner? Regular sinner? Okay. Infamous? Okay. Regular sinner? Not convicted yet. That would be the rest of you, I guess. So, so Jesus responds. In response, he, gave, he gives them this illustration. There once was a shepherd with a hundred lambs, but one of his lambs wandered away and was lost. So the shepherd left the 99 lambs out in the open field and searched in the wilderness. Say that word, wilderness. He searched in the wilderness for that one lost lamb. And what we're going to find out is in the first parable, a lamb was lost in a wilderness the second parable, a coin was lost in a house. And we're going to see the difference in why Jesus would share those two different things. So he didn't stop until he found it. With exuberant joy, he raised it up, placed it on his shoulders, carrying it back with cheerful delight. Returning home, he called all his friends and neighbors together and said, let's have a party. Why don't you say that with me? Let's have a party. Let's say that one more time. Let's have a party. Now, if you read all three of these parables in Luke 15, and your job was to find one thing that came up in each of the parables, it would be that phrase. Let's have a party. Let's have a party. And I think we have no idea what God's like when it comes to celebration over the lives of people. Yeah, it's wonderful. So, he goes home with exuberant joy, cheerful delight, calls all his friends, left have a party. Come and celebrate with me the return of my lost lamb. It wandered away, but I found it and brought it home. Jesus continued in the same way. There will be a glorious celebration in heaven over the rescue of one lost sinner who repents, comes back home, and returns to the fold, more so than for all the righteous people who never 
straight away. So let me run down through this, uh, make some comments on these first seven verses and see what they say to us. So Jesus responds to criticism by telling the scribes and the Pharisees a story about a shepherd who leaves 99 lambs to find one lost lamb. Now, the implication here is Jesus was telling his Jewish critics that that's what they should be. They should also be shepherds. They should be shepherds of Israel. They should do the same thing he was doing. Now, that was very offensive. They were insulted by Jesus' words about being shepherds because to the scribes and Pharisees, being a shepherd was one of the most despised occupations uh, in the land. And verse 5, I wanted to make this um, point also that Jesus searched in the wilderness. I had a friend named Arthur Burke from years ago, and he talked about how it is people wander away. And he said, you know, a lamb never jumps in a ditch. Sheep don't jump in a ditch. Do you know how they get there? Anybody have an idea? One nibble at a time. They're enticed away little by little. So we need to really guard our hearts about what we give ourselves to. But the shepherd searched in the wilderness. Here's the point. God was actively pursuing that sheep, and God's actively pursuing us. How many of you said when you met the Lord, I found the Lord? How many of you said that? Anybody? Come on, help me. Nobody? I I was convinced a minute ago there were people in here, Donna. I was... (laughs) Well... You thought you found the Lord, but he found you. He had been looking for you a lot longer than you were ever looking for him. He searched in the wilderness. Now, another thing we find out about the Lord is the Lord doesn't act like good businessmen. Good businessmen would have never considered leaving 99 good sheep for one rebellious one. But that's just simply not the way Jesus thought. I'd also been told this. When we read the text, we find out that when Jesus or the shepherd finds that lamb, what does it say he does? With exuberant joy, he raised it up and placed it on his shoulders, carrying it back with cheerful delight. Now, years ago, they used to say that when uh, sheep ran off, the shepherd carried them back on the shoulders like that because once they found them, they would break the lamb's leg to teach it to not run away. Anybody ever heard that analogy? Look at all the people that have heard that. Guess what? That's insane. That's absolutely crazy. If that's the way you trained your children, the Department of Social Services would take that child away from you. Well, he kept running off. What would you do? I just broke his leg and tied him to the bed. No. No, that's not the heart of God. (laughs) Broke his leg and tied him to the bed. No, no. He raised it up with exuberant joy, placed it on his shoulders. Now, why did Jesus, the shepherd, carry the lamb back? It's because the lamb being lost was probably so traumatized, it was paralyzed, couldn't even move. And so I got to thinking about that lamb being lost. How many of you remember what it feels like to be lost? Yeah. I remember what it feels like being lost. Matter of fact, I've been lost a number of different ways. And um, 
when I met the Lord back in the late 1960s and really uh, got really on fire for the Lord, say, in the early 1970s, the difference between what I was before then and what I became made me realize how utterly lost I was. It made me realize how little of a sense of self I had. You know, this whole thing about discovering your identity is so important. Until you know who you are in the Lord, you can be tricked, you can be persuaded, you can be intimidated, you can be threatened. But when you know who you are, all that begins to lose its power when you know who you are. Well, that was what was going on. And honestly, it's been an experience over the last almost 50 years of my life. It's been a continual, gradual discovery from the Lord as to my identity in its fullness. So another time I was lost was uh, after graduating from college, I went through, for various reasons, a real period of depression. And you know, um, I, I personally believe, although the Lord can use what's been going on the last three and a half months, I don't believe the Lord sponsored it. I really don't believe the Lord sponsored it. I don't believe the Lord torments us so that we can cry out for help. I really don't believe that's the nature of God. But I do know this. In whatever lost condition you find yourself, if you've lost in the sense that you've never repented and come to Jesus, Jesus is looking for you. If you're lost in the sense that you feel disoriented and you've been affected by some kind of depression, the Lord really wants to shepherd you. I can remember in one of the worst states I was ever in, and I've mentioned this before, but you know, we have these times in our lives where they're absolutely pivotal times. They're, they're markers, they're memorials. Um, and that was one of those times in one of, during that time when I was very distressed and I was trying to figure out who I was and what I was doing, the Lord gave me a song to sing. I mean, literally, I wrote a song. And the song went, he's done it in me, he's done it in me. Jesus has come and he has set me free. And I said, Lord, I'm not going to sing that song because it's not true. What did the Lord say? Sing it. He said, sing it. Okay. The He's done it in me. He's done it in me. Jesus has come and he has set me free. No more sorrow. Despair has fled away. Come on, Lord. Despair has fled away. Sing it. No more sorrow. Despair has fled away. I stand in the victory. He's put me there to stay. Victory? I'm so depressed, so only even my best friends won't talk to me. Sing it. He's done it in me. Yes, he's done it in me. Jesus has come and he has set me free. No more sorrow. Despair has fled away. I stand in the victory for he's put me there to stay. We dishonor the word of God by honoring our emotions and our circumstances more than the truth God's given us in the scripture. And we're all guilty. I was guilty. 
Lord said, sing that song. I said, Lord, it's not true. He'd sing it. And, and, and because there's something so powerful in the confession of our faith in the face of experienced contradictions. When do you need a promise if it's not when your life's falling apart? When do you need a promise about having no despair except in times when you have despair? That's what we have. We have these weapons. Glory to God, the rest of it, when he made me a son. I don't deserve it, but that's what he's done. Join heirs with Jesus. We ever shall reign. I'll wait for the promise. He's coming again. He gave me like four or five of these verses. And I sang them, and I sang my way out of that depression. Not because I was singing. It was because I was singing the reality of the gospel. Come on. That's really good, Robin. Yes, thank you. It's my split personality helping me along here. I was lost another time. Years ago, I was preaching in Alaska, and we went out on a glacier. Have any of you ever been on a glacier besides me? Anybody been on a glacier? Let me tell you what a glacier is like. When you look at a glacier, you think, wow, that's a very delightful snow field, right? Fluffy snow. Great to have a little snowball fight and no it's 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 like walking on um a concrete battlefield where there are dips and caves and hills and so i was out there with these two other guys and i had some back trouble so my back start because you're walking on ice for goodness sake we didn't we didn't know what we we're doing walking on ice going down these hills trying to get back up I got to where I couldn't hardly walk, so I told these guys, hey, go on, I'm going to go back. Well, the interesting thing was it was a cloudy day. You couldn't see anything, and you couldn't see where we came from. So then I fell down and cracked my hand on the ice, and I was bleeding. And I thought, oh, this is not good. If you bleed on a glacier, um, a polar bear who can smell your blood for 30 miles away will come and consume you. Right. Now, here was the problem. I, I never noticed a land. There were no landmarks. I did not know where back was. So bad back, can barely walk, bloody hand, a bear right around the corner, and nobody else on the ice. We didn't see one other person out on the ice the whole time we were there. I... How many of you understand panic, the term panic attack? Say that with me. Panic attack. And then say, is not my portion. Let's make sure. Panic attack is not my portion. Well, it was my portion because I thought, I don't, it's getting dark. Polar bear, backache. And then I saw two little heads on the horizon bobbing up and down, and it was a couple who'd been out there, and I didn't know it. And I said, uh, do you know where back is? And they said, yes, we're going back. And I said, may I go back with you? And they said, yes, so I got back. But I really felt lost. I mean, lost, lost, geographically lost, desperately lost. And um, that was the way that worked. Everybody okay? How the kid? Nope. All right, I heard that. 
<laughs> I can't imagine that being a Tory. <laughs> I'm so glad these kids are here. I love all you kids. You're awesome. I'll accept that one guy who said, no, no, not really. So good. Okay. Let's look at this uh, lost coin. Luke 15, 8 through 10, verse 8. Jesus gave them another parable. There once was a woman who had 10 valuable silver coins. When she lost one of them, she swept her entire house, diligently searching every corner of her house for that one lost coin. So, when she lost one of them, what did she sweep? Her entire house. Where did she diligently search? Every corner. Now, to me, again, that's a picture of the aggressive posture of God looking for something valuable who's been lost. Verse 9, when she finally found it and gathered all her friends and neighbors for a celebration. Oh, I'm sorry. When she found it, she gathered all her friends and neighbors for a celebration, telling them, come and celebrate with me. I had lost my precious silver coin, but now I've found it. That's the way God responds every time one lost sinner repents and turns to him. He says to all his angels, let's have a joyous celebration for the one who was lost I have found. So when I compare these first two parables, the lamb was lost in the wilderness, but where was the coin lost? In in the house. Because there are different kinds of lost. There's wilderness lost, then there's house lost. Yeah, now house lost means that person next to you may be in the house. They may be a believer. And, and they're lost, in this case, a sinner that repents. How many of you know that you repent more than once before your life spans over? Yeah. Yeah, that would be like an understatement, right? But this one was lost in the house. And I think about how many people, in, in certain ways, they are lost. Um, and here again, we find, and, and this has got to be something that absolutely is in the center of God's heart is this idea of being celebrated, of celebration, of partying, come and celebrate with me. I had lost my precious silver coin, but now I found it. And then Jesus says this to the scribes and the Pharisees about the woman. That's the way God responds. So Jesus compared God to a woman, which was also offensive to the scribes and Pharisees. It's not really to us, but it was to them. That's the way God responds. Every time one lost sinner repents and turns to him, he says to all his angels, let's have a joyous celebration for the one who was lost, I have found. And so when I have looked through, um, as I have looked through this uh second parable, and I was thinking about, I've got uh, 
a couple of silver dollars. This one's a 1990. I've got an 1884. And I think the silver's worth about $18 an ounce. But the, uh, at least the 1884 one's worth about close to 40, between 35 and $40. And um, as I was thinking about what it meant to be lost in the house, what I, I believe that's about is about not knowing your value. Now, let me just ask this simple question. At face value, I'm not talking about anything other than the face value. Face value is a silver dollar. It's worth a dollar. Is that right? Let's say it's worth a dollar. Answer the question. How much is this worth? It's a dollar. It's worth a dollar. Okay. If I lose it, what's it worth? If I lose it, what's it worth? It's worth a dollar. If I find it, what's it worth? A dollar. What am I saying? I'm saying that when you get saved or when you meet Jesus, he doesn't give you your value. He shows you your value. You see, that strikes right at the notion that we can impress God. That strikes right at the notion of um, uh, legalism. He reveals to you your value. He doesn't give you that value. He shows you what that value is. Being found or being saved or being redeemed doesn't give you value. It reveals how much you were always worth to God. Each of us has an infinite value. See, there's, there's more to this than a coin worth a dollar being worth a dollar lost or found. When Jesus died for you, he paid an infinite price. So if he paid an infinite price for you, what must you be worth? What must your value be? It must be worth whatever the wisest person in the universe chose to spend to have you. Your obedience doesn't make you more valuable. Your disobedience doesn't take away your value. It has no effect on it whatsoever. It can affect your relationship. It can affect how you think. It can affect how you feel. It can affect all those things. That's why we should always do the right thing. But as far as God's concerned, it doesn't affect your value. It doesn't affect how much he loves you. It doesn't affect how much he cares for you. He causes his reign to fall on the just and the unjust. I was reading over here in another portion of Luke. And it says a man's value or a man's life. Speaking to people, Jesus continued, be alert. Guard your heart from greed and always wishing for what you don't have. For your life can never be measured by the amount of things you possess. It doesn't add anything to your value. It does help you pay your bills. <laughs> it can help you have an easier life. But anyway, everybody good? The mirror translation says, instead of a one a repentant sinner, it says, I tell you, 
This mirrors heaven's joy over one out of sync person who awakens to their authentic identity. That's what it is to fully turn, fully repent. It's to discover all that God has created you to be. Okay. Thank you so much for your kind attention. So good to see all you folks. I see some strangers from a strange land over there. Welcome, welcome back. So good to see you. Okay. Why don't we stand up and pray? Lord Jesus, thank you so much that even as much as our parents love us, they can shape us, they can form us, but ultimately you are the one who reveals to us who we are. And Lord, you've shown us here in the, here, here in the words of Jesus, and we know through the gospel that you placed a value on us high enough that you redeemed us by the blood of your son. He gave his life for us. He took sin onto himself to free us from it. Thank you so much for the price Jesus paid. Lord, please open our eyes to who we are. Open our eyes to our value. Uh, Cause us to be those people who, because we know who we are, we can neither be intimidated, threatened, persuaded, or moved from the truth of who you are and what you've shown us. Bless our nation, Lord. Lord, we pray for the United States of America. We ask that um, your peace would come like a mighty rushing river, like a mighty stream. We pray for the government. We pray for the um, the, the strife between racial groups. We ask for peace. We ask for love. We ask for the heart of God to come to our nation and heal our land, Lord. Heal our land. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, folks. Have a great week. Thanks for coming. We'll put out an email about next week. I'm not sure if we'll have two services. Maybe we just combine it into one. And um, God bless you. We love you bunches. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.